I'm going to read the Bible. So, if you want to grab your Bible, we're going to start reading from Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake at Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into the one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're looking for room seven. Hello? Yeah, seems to be. Kind of bright, though. Yeah, it is for most people. Spend their lives in the dark trying to hide from me. Well, the elevator's broken, huh? Yeah, but I'll get around to it. You install the clapper? No, but catch a jingle, isn't it? <laughs> clap on, clap on, clap on, clap on. The clapper. <laughs> Just can't get it out of my head, Ed. Well, good luck with that. I'm gonna go now. Okay, but the boss will be right out. You must be Bruce. I've been expecting you. This is hilarious. So you're the boss and the electrician and the janitor. Must be a killer Christmas party. Don't get drunk, though. One of you might need a ride home. <laughs> you always were funny, Bruce. Just like your father. He didn't mind rolling up his sleeves, either, son. People underestimate the benefit of good old manual labor. It's freedom in it. Some of the happiest people in the world go home smelling to high heavens at the end of the day. All right, what is this? How do you know my father, and how'd you get my pager number? Oh, I know quite a lot about you, Bruce. Just about everything there is to know. Everything you've ever said, or done, or thought about doing, right there in that file cabinet. Wow, a whole drawer just for me. Mind if I take a look? Sure, like. That's not be good. <laughs> now, this last entry was a little disturbing. taken my bird and my bush. God is a mean kid with a magnifying glass. Smite me, almighty smite. Well, welcome everyone to Uni Church. My name is Dave. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us. Uh, that movie is one of my all-time favorites, but I realize I'm now starting to get a little bit older than the average uni churcher. Uh, hands up if you've seen that movie before. Oh, great. This is going to work. That's good. That's good to know. If you haven't seen it, uh, it comes from a movie called Bruce 
almighty. And the storyline is pretty simple, right? Bruce, who is played by Jim Carrey there, works as a news reporter and his life is miserable. Nothing ever seems to go right for him. His life is never what he thinks it should be. And in his frustration one night, he starts to get angry at God. He starts blaming God for all of the problems in his life, accusing him of being behind everything that's going wrong, accusing him of not even caring about what it is that he's going through. And then the next morning, in the scene we just watched, Bruce gets to meet God. That's what's happening in that scene there, if you haven't seen it. Bruce is coming face to face with God, who coincidentally looks like Morgan Freeman, dressed in a white suit, and also seems to spend his time fixing elevators and lights in abandoned warehouses. And look, the movie is classic Jim Carrey, right? It's got funny moments, but it's B-grade when you boil it down. But it does raise for us a really interesting idea, doesn't it? What would it actually be like to meet God? What would it be like to come face to face with the God of the universe? Not Morgan Freeman dressed in a white suit, but the one true God. The God who made the world. The God who sustains the world even now. The one whose hands flung stars into space. The one who spoke and the universe came into being. What would you do if you met this God? Have you ever thought about that? What would you say? How would you act? What questions would you have for him? What would you expect him to be like? What would it be like to meet the one true God? In this chapter of Luke's Gospel that Marcus just read for us, we're actually introduced to three different people who each get the chance to do exactly that. We're introduced to three different people who each have the chance to come face to face with the one true God. Here at Unichurch, we love working our way through the Bible and we've been working our way through the book of Luke, one of the historical accounts of Jesus' life. And as we unpack Luke chapter 5 for us, I hope what you see tonight is that meeting God isn't quite what you would expect. Just pick out the story with me there in Luke chapter 5 verse 1. Luke chapter 5 verse 1 and have a look at what happens when a fisherman named Simon bumps into God. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he, had, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the net. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now, I've been on a couple of fishing trips, but this has got to be about the weirdest fishing trip in the history of the world, doesn't it? 
And I feel like on one level, it's really easy to resonate with Simon and his fellow fishermen here. Whenever I go fishing, I never catch anything and I last about half an hour and just throw in the towel, right? But, but for these guys, they're not just average local Joe fishermen. This is their livelihood. They're good at what they do and they've been, they've been fishing for more than 30 minutes, you see there. They've been fishing all through the night. And what do they have to show for it? Nothing. Not one single fish to bring home and put on the table. Until along comes Jesus with a large crowd in tow. And just as they've started unpacking all their nets, right, and packing them all up, he calls out to them and says, get back out there, guys, and put down your nets again. Now, if it was me, being completely honest, I would be telling Jesus to take a hike at this point. But for whatever reason, Simon and his partners obey and they head back out into the lake. They let down their nets again and catch so many fish that the nets rip. They catch so many fish, they have to call over their friends in another boat. And even then, there's still so many fish that the boats begin to sink under all the weight. Now, this is more than a lucky break here, isn't it? This is a miracle. And it shows us something really key about Jesus from Luke's Gospel. It shows us that Jesus is God. Because who else in the Bible has authority over creation? Who else can control the universe just by speaking? It's God, isn't it? In the Bible, God, the way God shows his power time and time again is through his word. So he will speak and it will happen. And that's precisely what Jesus is doing here. He's showing his divine authority. He's showing that he's God in the flesh through the power of his word. That is, that morning by the lake of Gennesaret, Simon and his companions were coming face to face with God. And look at how Simon responds. Chapter 5, verse 8. Look at what Simon does when he realizes who it is he's speaking with. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Get away from me. Get away from me, God. That's that's how Simon responds here when he comes face to face with God. He responds in fear. Now, on one level, that is really weird, isn't it? Because you would expect Simon to be really thankful at this point. Jesus has just sent your profit margin for this month through the roof. You can take the rest of this month, probably the rest of this year off, right? You don't need to go to uni and study a degree or get a job. You are set for the next year. But, but Simon doesn't respond like that. He says, get out of my sight. Get, get away from me. Please, Jesus, go away. Why? Well, he says there that he knows he's a sinful man. See, this is the thing about being in the presence of the one true God. In the presence of God, there is no hiding who we really are. Amongst other people, it's really easy to do that. Amongst each other, we can look presentable, we can say the right things, we can look like nice people, right? We can be polite. So it's easy to deceive others and to deceive ourselves and think that we're good people. But in the presence of God, there is nowhere to hide. 
God knows all. God can see all. He knows what he's done in secret. He, he sees the thoughts of our hearts, right? The desires of our hearts. Which means that meeting God would actually be a terrifying thing when you think about it. It will be terrifying. Because there is no part of your life that God does not know about. There's no hiding our sin before him. So I want you to imagine for a moment. Let's say we were sitting here tonight, right? And we had a copy of your whole life that we could play here on the screen tonight. We could play out everything you'd ever thought, said or done right here in front of everyone. How would you feel about us doing that? Well, my guess is you'd be nervous. I know that I would be. My my guess is you'd be ashamed because we all know there are parts of our lives we're ashamed of, don't we? We all have this sense of regret and guilt for the things we have done and look, we might be able to hide those parts of our lives from one another but there is no hiding them from God. And that's why Simon is afraid. That's why he falls at Jesus' feet and begs Jesus to go away. That's why meeting God would be nothing like meeting Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty, right? Because before the one true God, there is no hiding our sin. There's no escaping the fact we deserve judgment and condemnation. There's no escaping the fact that we deserve to face the consequences of God's good and just anger for all of our sin. What would meeting God be like? Well, in this first story, we see it would be terrifying because before God, there is no hiding our sin. But I'll tell you what, that's pretty heavy to hear, right? But but it does help us see why the next story in this passage is actually incredibly wonderful. Because in verses 12 to 6, we come across another man, right? A second man here in chapter 5 who has leprosy and comes face to face with God. So let's pick up the story in verse 12 of chapter 5. It says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, which is a pretty severe kind of skin disease, right? And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Now, once again, you see Jesus' divine authority displayed through the power of his word here, can't you? With just two words this time, he says, be clean, and he heals this man from a terrible and burdening skin disease. But that's a really interesting choice of words to use, isn't it, Philip? Be clean. You notice what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, be cured. He doesn't say be healed. Jesus and the man with leprosy here, they both bring up the idea of wanting to be clean. Which is actually a clue, a little clue that there is something more going on here, right, than just a miraculous healing that takes place. There's something greater Luke 
is wanting us to understand about Jesus in this passage. Something more than just he has the divine power to heal the sick and diseased. See, what we need to get is that in the time that Jesus lived, cleanliness was about more than just describing one's outward physical condition. So when I was at uni, I lived in a share house with three other guys and I couldn't find any photos of that this is off realestate.com, Wilkinson Avenue, Birmingham Gardens. Uh, I lived in this share house and it was like some of the best years of my life living with these guys, except that we also had other roommates, uh, about a thousand cockroaches who never paid rent or did the washing up. This was a really bad, great and bad time in my life, right? See, I'd, have, I'd go and have a shower and I'd walk out of the shower and I'd feel less clean in those moments, right? But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not the type of cleanliness that the Bible has in mind here. In the Bible, cleanliness is a way of describing one's spiritual state in the presence of God. To be clean before God was to be pure, holy, without sin. So to be unclean was to be the opposite of that. Being unclean was a way of describing that one was not in the right with God. And all kinds of things could make you unclean. Eating the wrong food, touching a dead body, coming into contact with certain types of, even some skin diseases. In fact, even touching someone who was unclean would make you unclean because it was thought that their uncleanliness would spread from them to you. But that's not what happens when this leper meets Jesus, is it? Instead, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, we see Jesus reach out and touch this man and with two words, make him clean. And the point Luke is trying to make here is that Jesus doesn't just heal this man from his pain and his suffering. He makes him clean before God in the spiritual sense. He, he makes him in the right with God again. Which is incredible news for people like Simon, isn't it? It's incredible news for people who feel the acute awareness of their sin because here we see that Jesus is willing to help those who will simply ask. Though what we deserve is judgment and condemnation, Jesus here says, hey look, I am willing to make you clean. In fact, that's precisely what we learn from our third and final part of this passage. In the third story of a man coming face to face with God. And this time, it's a paralyzed man who meets him. Look there in verse 17. Verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. For the third time in this chapter, we meet a man who comes face to face with God. 
And for the third time, funnily enough, like the other two, this guy ends up at Jesus' feet. But this time he's laid there through the sheer determination of his friends, right? It's, and it's funny, as you read this passage, notice, do you notice how Luke is setting Jesus up here to perform another miracle? Verse 17, we read, The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Verse 18, some men come to Jesus, bringing a paralyzed man, a man who needs healing on a stretcher. Verse 19, they can't get him through the crowd, so they lower him down through a hole in the roof and lay him right in front of Jesus' feet. Everything in this story is preparing us for a miraculous healing. Everything in this story is preparing us for another great display of Jesus' divine, authoritative word. And yet, what does Jesus choose to say to him? Friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is presented here with an opportunity to do a miraculous and powerful healing and instead he chooses to forgive this guy's sins? Why? Why? Well, because that is our real problem before God, isn't it? That's what Jesus knows. That's what we see all throughout. That's why Simon says, away from me, Jesus, right? Because he knows he's a sinful man. That's why the leper cries out, if you're willing, you can make me clean, Jesus, because he knows his greatest problem is that he's not right with God. That's why even though Jesus, he could heal this man with just the power of his word, chooses instead to forgive him for his sins. Because he knows what we all need most really is forgiveness from God. In fact, the only reason Jesus ends up healing this guy is because he wants to prove to the Pharisees and teachers of the law that he has the authority to do that. Right? He has the authority to forgive. So he does something only God can do. He heals this man with just two words to show that he's not blaspheming to show that he truly does have the authority and power to forgive sins. Because both of those things are only things that God can do. And this really helps us to see that this passage is not promising if you have enough faith, Jesus will heal you. Now, sometimes people think that's the point of this passage, right? That Jesus sees the great faith of the person and then that's why they're miraculously healed. But But that's not what this passage is promising at all, is it? This passage is promising that if you put your trust in Jesus, he yearns to make you right with God again. He's willing to make you clean before God again. Though we certainly don't deserve it, he wants us to know that he offers us free of charge, forgiveness for our sins. That's how Jesus makes us clean before God, through bringing forgiveness for our sins. What would it be like to come face to face with God? On the one hand, it would be really terrifying, right? Because we know we are sinners. But on the other hand, it's absolutely wonderful. Because Jesus came into this world to bring forgiveness for our sins. So what do we do with this? 
what do we do with what we've seen in this passage, with the knowledge of what it would be like to come face to face with God? How should we respond when we know coming face to face with God will be like this? Well, the answer in Luke chapter 5, at least, is really quite simple. In fact, it's just one word. How should we respond to meeting God face to face? Repent. That's what Jesus says. Just look at what happens right at the end of our passage there in verse 27. Straight after this, right, after Jesus heals the paralyzed man, it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his booth, his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the response meeting God face to face calls us. That's what Jesus wants us to do, right? He has come into this world to call us to repent. And we often misunderstand what this word repentance really means. Often we think repentance is about just feeling bad and saying sorry. But it's actually more than that. In fact, you you get a sense of what repentance is like all throughout this chapter, don't you? You see part of what repentance means in the response of Simon. And how he doesn't try to hide or deny his sinfulness before God. He just owns it. He owns it and recognises and admits he's a sinful man. Repentance, it starts with an acknowledgement that we need salvation, that we have sinned before God. And you see part of what repentance involves at the response of the man with leprosy, right? When he comes and begs Jesus to make him clean. Or in the desperation of the man who's paralyzed and his his faith in Jesus, how they completely depend and trust upon Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Repentance, it starts with acknowledging your sin, but it also involves throwing yourself completely on the mercy of Jesus, putting your trust in him alone to deal with your problem of sin. And you see, the last part of what repentance really looks like in the response of Levi too. How in verse 28, he got up from his tax booth, right? He got up from all that his money that he was sitting on there. He left it all behind and he followed after Jesus. All that he had, he, he cast it aside for Jesus. His life now, it belongs to Jesus. It's completely and utterly built around him. And it's the same thing Simon does back up at the start of the chapter. In verse 11, he pulls up, they pull up their boats on the shore and they left everything. Literally, they abandoned their boats and the fish they'd caught. They cast it all to the side to pursue Jesus. You see there, you see there that real repentance involves following Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, the whole of your life spent joyfully living for him. Repentance is more than just feeling bad and saying sorry. It's really like a complete U-turn 
a change of direction, away from the old way of life to put your trust in Jesus and spend the rest of your life chasing after Him. You know, I actually made that decision sitting where you are here at Uni Church 13 years ago. And it was hands down the best decision I've ever made. Because there is no greater joy and satisfaction than when you realize who God really is and you choose to repent and turn back to Him. You choose to acknowledge your sin, put your trust in Jesus for forgiveness and decide to spend the rest of your life chasing after Him. Have you made that decision yet? I, I, I don't know a lot of you in this room tonight, right? I don't know where you've come from, what your background with Christianity is, the type of church you've grown up in, or I don't know any of those things. But if you haven't made this decision, what I do know is that this is the year you should look into it. Uni is a great time in your life. It'll be so, it'll be so much fun. You'll meet heaps of good people. You have this freedom out from under your parents' wings. But I'll tell you what, it would be a waste if you never got to check out Jesus. If you're here and you're not sure what you think about Jesus yet, why not invest some time this year into getting that information? Getting the information, the facts around Jesus, right? We're about to kick off this thing we run here at Unichurch called the Life Series. And you'll see a bit more of what it involves later on. It's a chance to look into the claims of Jesus in a relaxed and unthreatening environment. You should sign up for that. Come along to that. Take the time to check out Jesus. Take the time to make sure you're ready for the day that you come face to face with him. And if you are a Christian, maybe you're here for the first time, you, you know what you think about Jesus, you believe everything we've seen tonight, and you've come along just to check us out. I want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. And I, I, hope, I hope that you've seen from this passage the type of church we are. The type of people here at Uni Church we want to be. We are a bunch of sinners. Let's just put that out on the table. We don't want to hide that. There's no pretense around that. This is not a place for religious do-goods. Because we are people who have acknowledged and know there's no hiding from God. He knows our sin. And we are a people who have pinned our hopes upon Jesus for forgiveness. We're going all in on Jesus to make us right with God. And we're a people who have given up everything, everything to chase after Jesus. We think that this whole world is about Jesus. This whole universe, including your life, is all about Him. And so if you think that too, then come and join us. Join us in following Jesus whilst you're here in Uni. Join us in serving Jesus, in making him known here in Newey. This is what we love as a church. This is who we love as a church. Here at Uni Church, we are all about Jesus. We're sold out completely for him. Because as we've seen tonight, Meeting God means meeting Jesus, doesn't it? 
Coming face to face with God means coming face to face with Jesus. And on the one hand, that is terrifying because we know we are sinners. But on the other hand, it's completely and absolutely wonderful because Jesus stepped into this world to bring forgiveness for our sins. And the only response that makes sense when you know that, the only thing that is logical to do when you know this is true, is repent. Acknowledge your sin. Trust Jesus for forgiveness and spend the rest of your life chasing after him. Why don't we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy it is to be your people, to know Jesus, to know you, the one true God. And Father, we thank you for the loads and loads of new people who have walked in here tonight. And we pray that we would welcome them, we pray that we would love them, but we pray that they would really see what we are about. Father, we as a church want to be a church that loves Jesus. Father, we pray that we would be a church that knows our sin and that puts all our trust in Jesus for forgiveness and that chooses to joyfully, out of love, chase after him for the rest of our lives. Father, we ask that you would help us to do this, not for our own sake, but for the glory and the honour of Jesus' name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.